Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. There is a dreaded conversation that every parent and child have. You know that talk. You know that talk. That talk that you avoid with your kids forever, and then finally you're like, okay, he's 22, I probably should tell him. And you say to them, let me tell you about the birds, the bees, son or daughter. And they're like, you're like, I didn't know already, right? The talk that you avoid, and for some of us it's been avoided so long that it never actually happens. The talk that you avoid, that some of you are squirming right now at home or in your seats because you're going, I know, I gotta have that talk. You know that talk that's really awkward, that must happen, that's super important, that talk that we all avoid. Do you know that pastors avoid the same talk that parents have? Right, the talk about sex? Parents avoid it, pastors avoid it, as if we can avoid it, as if the kids don't already know and the kids aren't already talking about it, but it doesn't get talked about at home or in church, and yet it's such an enormous part of all of our lives, the talk. If you didn't know, we're going to have the talk today family. And you know, it's awkward to talk about sex with our kids, and it can be awkward to talk about sex at church, but it doesn't have to be. That's a choice in all of our hearts, whether it's going to be awkward or not, because the Bible talks about sex, and if it's in the Bible, we should talk about it too. And so we're in this series together, Learning Wisdom. And this summer, we're sort of set aside to go through the wisdom literature of the scriptures and learn wisdom on every topic, and we can't avoid this topic, living wisdom on sex. Because if you didn't know, our world doesn't avoid the topic, right? And so our schools are teaching our kids about sex. Hollywood, the music industry, social media are talking about sex all the time. The porn industry is billions and billions of dollars because lots of people and lots of Christians are consuming lots of porn. So no one else is avoiding the topic except parents and pastors. That's a problem. And so we're going to wade into that topic today. And if you need to get up and leave, go ahead. I would encourage you not to, but I get it, right? It's like, here's the talk, and let's lean into this together. So if you have your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5, electronic copy, paper copy. Lean into Proverbs chapter 5 with me for just a few moments. And as we get to Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 23, I'd like to pray with you. God, indeed, this is an awkward conversation to talk about sex and sexuality, and yet it's such an important topic because we are all sexual beings. It's a part of who we are. It's not all of who we are, but it is an important part. And our world is talking about it, and we all have feelings and experiences and so would you help us, God, on the sound of my voice, there are people that are struggling with sexual confusion, sexual experimentation, sexual identity, 
sexual addiction. There are some who have great sex lives and some who have been abused today sexually as children and adults. And everything in between is here among us within the sound of my voice. And so I pray, gentle Savior, full of grace and truth, would you help us to use these moments together to help us to know your heart, to apply your heart and your grace and your truth to our lives. God, would you help me to not say anything that I shouldn't say or that wouldn't honor you? And I pray that the exact truth that every person listening to my voice needs to hear would land on their hearts and that you would use that to heal and to grow and to encourage and to sustain your sons and daughters, I pray. All of this in Christ's name, amen. So Proverbs chapter five is written by Solomon. He's described in the Bible as the wisest person who's ever lived. And in Proverbs chapter five, he's having the sex talk with his son. It's like, this is the conversation. It's that talk. He's having it with his son. Before we get into the text, though, it's really important for us to understand some things about Solomon and his son that are gonna help us apply and unlock the truth of this passage together. So Solomon, when he talks to his son, Solomon and his son have a common understanding about sex from the Bible. They share a common understanding about sex and sexual sin. So he doesn't deal with that explicitly in this passage because he knows it's in the background of his son in his heart. So we have to get up to speed of that. So let me do a quick tutorial about what the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation about sex. Sex is a God-honoring, pleasure-producing, self-giving act which bonds husband and wife together to reproduce. Lots of words there. So let me kind of slow down and talk about it. God made sex. It's not an accident. It isn't haphazard. It's not random. When we have sex within God's design, it honors God. It's a worshipful thing. It's beautiful. It's not gross. It's not disgusting. It's not bad. When we do within God's design, this is a thing that honors God and it produces pleasure. That's also not an accident. That's a design feature from our Father. He made it for us. And so when we give ourselves to our spouse, not seeking pleasure for ourselves, but serving one another in love in every area of life, including our sex life, it produces pleasure. It is God's design. We give ourselves to each other in every area of life, including in our marriages, and it produces pleasure. It's not an accident, but it's also there to bond us together, husbands and wives. God knows that life is up and down and hard. There is something in sexual life together that bonds us emotionally, spiritually, relationally, physically, mentally together. God does that because he knows our lives are up and down and hard. He's like, I want to bring two people together that are going to sustain the storms of life together. And, oh, by the way, no one wants to talk about the fact that it is for the purpose of reproduction. That's avoided and ignored in our culture today. Sex is to reproduce. So this is the biblical, orthodox, thousands of years historical view of sexuality from beginning of Genesis to the Revelation. This is in the forefront and the background of Solomon's mind when he has this conversation to talk with his son. And it's in light of this understanding that we can then look at what is 
sin. So sexual sin is any sexual pleasure outside of marriage between one man and one woman. See, sin is when we take what God designed. Let's do this, see if we can get rid of that. Yep. Take what God designed and we bend it or we misuse it or we misapply it. In any category of life, that is what the Bible calls sin. And so when we do that with our sex lives, the Bible says that's sin. And this word any is really important. Any sexual pleasure outside of marriage, any. That means in action or in thought. Sexual pleasure looking at pornography is sin. Sexual pleasure with someone not your husband, not your wife, is sin. Sexual pleasure between two men is sin. Sexual pleasure between two women is sin. Sexual pleasure with a minor is sin. Sexual pleasure with someone in your family is sin. Sexual pleasure with an animal is sin. Sexual pleasure outside of husband and wife together where a husband and wife brings other people into their sexual bed or pornography into their sex life, that's sin. Any sexual pleasure outside of marriage between husband and wife, God says, that's not my design. That's not what I created it for. You can do it, but it's not what I designed it to be. And I want to make a clear distinction that my feelings your feelings sexually are not wrong. But what I do with my feelings in every category of life, including my sex life, can be wrong. And God says, this is what sex is, and this is what sin is. And he knows when Solomon talks to his son, they have this in the background of their mind, so that when he says, son, let's have this talk, and I want to talk to you about how to live wisely with your sex life, this is all understood between the two. So it's important for us to understand it based on what the Bible says so that we can apply wisdom to what we're about to read. What you also should know about Proverbs chapter 5 is it's written by Solomon. And Solomon is a sexual dirtbag. If you go to 1 Kings chapter 11, what you find about Solomon is he has 700 wives and 300 concubines, which means he has lots and lots and lots of sexual sin in his life. And if there's anybody that shouldn't be able to give wisdom about sex, it's Solomon. And it would be easy for you and me to go, why would I listen to this pervert, Solomon, about sex? And I get it. You can just dismiss all of it and walk out. Tune me out. I get it. Or we can go, here's a guy that's done way more than any of us can ever imagine. The Bible says he denied himself no pleasure. He's done it all. And he's saying, now, son, the end of my life, I, I got to tell you something about wisdom. So we could dismiss him. I get it. And some of you might go, I'm dismissing this guy, Solomon, and this preacher, Joe. I get it. Or we could lean in and say, where's their wisdom here to find? Proverbs, this is the background when he has the talk with his son. He says in Proverbs 5, verse 1, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight, that you may obtain, maintain discretion, and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous women drip, woman drip with honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. By the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp and double-edged as a sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. 
Her paths wander aimlessly, but, to sh- to, but she does not know it. And so we're going to stop and unpack that. Solomon is presumably in this moment talking to his adult married son. Talking to his adult married son. And he says, I'm going to warn you about this adulterous woman. He's not saying every woman is adulterous. He's talking about a specific situation. He's speaking in a set of circumstances in a time where there's no Playboy magazine and no online porn. He says, beware of this adulterous woman. It says, beware of this immoral woman who's choosing to entice you, this woman that's not your wife who's deliberately trying to whisper in your ear and lure you away. In essence, he's saying, beware of any sexual pleasure that's whispered in your ear that goes against God's design for sex. This pleasure sounds smooth, it sounds good, it's enticing and inviting, but it leads to bitterness, he says, and pain. It's like a sword that's going to cut you, follow this temptation, take the bait, it's a trap. It leads straight to the grave, straight to death. You will, my son, die chasing sexual pleasure. And he knows, like every kid, that his son shrugs him off and goes, that's just the old man, like whatever. So he kind of doubles down in verse seven. Now then, my son, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others, your dignity to the one who's cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you'll groan when your flesh and body are spent. You'll say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors, and I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. It kind of sounds like Solomon's telling his own biography, because this is his life. He knew God's design for sex. He rebelled against God's design for sex. And now he says, let me tell you from experience, in the end, your life will grow. Your body, your flesh will be spent. When you choose to give in to temptation and go after sexual pleasure outside of God's design, you spend your life seeking the next orgasm, but it doesn't ever satisfy. It's hollow. It does nothing to give lasting satisfaction. He's using this strong language to get his son's attention about the subtle temptation of sexual pleasure. And he he says all of this in verses 1 through 14, And then he turns things in verse 15. It gets to the sort of good part. Here's what sex is supposed to be, my son. Here's how you live wisely, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? He's using poetic language to say, son, you're married. You have a wife. Turn those desires towards her and her to you. That's God's design. He's saying to him, this is what it's supposed to be, a God-honoring, pleasure-producing, self-giving act between husband and wife. Don't take your sexual self public. 
Don't pursue in the streets, in the public forum, what you want. Go shopping to get what you think you need. It's not going to satisfy you. And he's not shy about the pleasure of sex, verse 19. A loving doe, a graceful deal, may her breast satisfy you always. May you be intoxicated, strong language, by her love. He says, enjoy all the pleasures that come within this beautiful union. This is God's design. Be intoxicated with her. Ooh, I like that. Isn't this the exact opposite of what we learn in our culture? This is not what we grow up thinking about sex because we don't talk about it at home and we don't talk about it at church. And so we have all this warped view, all of us sexually broken, have this warped view of all of these things Really, sex with one partner the rest of my life is supposed to be intoxicating? Really? No way that can happen. But it's because we're so broken that right now we go, this is impossible. This is archaic. This is antiquated. Because we're all broken, everything wants, inside us wants to pursue an intoxicating sexual relationship outside of marriage, not inside of marriage. It screams, this kind of language screams, man, this is old school. Really? I'm not listening to this. This is so antiquated. I can give you a thousand excuses of why this is old school, unrealistic. A thousand reasons why this won't work. It's not true. It's too narrow. Love is love. Feelings are feelings. Do whatever your heart says. I get it. I mean, I read the Bible. I see these things. I look at my own life. I look at the life of my friends. I get why all of us would go, this is crazy. There's just no way that this is what God's design is. Love is love, I get it. Feelings are feelings, I get it. I understand all that. I feel the same way. I have a Jeep Wrangler. I love my Jeep. I can do anything I want with my Jeep Wrangler. But if I go against the manual and the manufacturer's warnings, I break the Wrangler and void the warranty. And the promises of the warranty and the promises of the Jeep fail. I can do whatever I want with my Jeep Wrangler. I'm free to do whatever I want. But when I ignore the creator, the designer, the person who promised a warranty with my product, of here's the promise of what you'll get. When I ignore it, and the same thing is true sexually. I get it. I'm with all of you. This is hard stuff. But when we ignore the creator, the one who made everything and made us, who understands us and knows us and designs us and knows what will bring life and what will bring death, when I ignore him, I can do that. But I void the promises that come from our God that goes, yeah, you can do what you want, but are you going to get really what you want when you do it? Yes, you'll get it for a time, but what other death will come because of it? Solomon ends this proverb, interestingly, verse 21. He says, for your ways, son, are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. I don't like this. Like, all my ways, all my ways, all my ways, my thoughts, my actions are obvious and known to God. Yeah, he sees everything. And so the things I can hide from my wife, the things I can hide for you, I can't hide from God. He sees and examines it all. Verse 22, the evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sin hold them fast. 
It's his way of saying the choices we make are either going to free us or ensnare us. The choices I make with God's design and my life and my body and my feelings, they're either going to free me or they're going to ensnare me. Verse 23, for the lack of discipline, they will die led astray by their own great folly. And so the entire Bible and this passage talk about this and make it clear that all of us are impacted by sin. No one's above this. All of us are impacted by sin in every category, and all of us are impacted by sin sexually, and all sin leads to death, all of it, unless we put our trust in Jesus. I mean, because we're all broken in every category, and because we're all broken sexually, we're all destined to perish. We're all outside of God's love and outside of his forgiveness. But God sends Jesus into this world to pay for my sins, every sin, including my sexual sin. So when Jesus dies on the cross, he absorbs the wrath of every sin, including my sexual sin, pays that price, and rises again from the dead victorious to say, I have conquered every sin, including every sexual sin. And when Jesus dies and rises again, he ascends back to God the Father and he gives his Holy Spirit to live inside his sons and daughters to empower us to live a life to please God instead of my feelings, which means that some of you who have been abused sexually, you've gone through as a child or as an adult the blood of Christ covers that sin and his spirit wants to empower you to see that you're not damaged goods you're not shameful, you're not dirty, you're beloved of God. He loves you so much, he died to redeem you and rescue you. Those of us that struggle with all kinds of feelings and temptations, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ comes and engages with us that we might live to God and not to ourselves and to our feelings. The same spirit that brought Christ from the dead lives inside each one of us and gives us the power to say yes to God in every category, including our sex life, and no to anything that is not God's design and that which he says is sin. So this entire Bible talks about this, but it's here also in Proverbs chapter five. I want you to notice something subtle in Proverbs five. Check this out. There's a number of times the word intoxicated is used. He says in verse uh, 21, I think, may you, or 19, may you ever be intoxicated with her love. I like that word, intoxicated, right? It's like, see, this is the design of God. He says, this is marriage, that you're intoxicated with your spouse's love. And then he goes, here's the warning, my son, why would you be intoxicated with another man's wife? That's out of bounds. He's like, don't do that. You're going to lead yourself astray and cause problems and pain in your life. But he ends with, for lack of discipline, they will die, led astray. This word in Hebrew is the same word as intoxicated, 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 led astray. He says, for lack of discipline, they will die led astray, intoxicated by their own great folly. I, I feel like, see if this how it lands on you, I feel like this is what's happening in our culture today. That 
Nobody wants to say this. This is so hard, and I want to be gentle, but so many of us in our world are intoxicated, led astray by our own feelings. And we're listening to our feelings and following our desires and our appetites, and those desires and appetites are folly. They don't leave you with the lasting joy that God promises because we're breaking his design. This is not what he made us for. And so this led astray intoxication is, is just rampant in our society today. And nobody wants to be politically incorrect to say, well, you can do whatever you want, but it's going to lead you astray into a form of death if you follow it. And so there's a number of things as we got to go through Proverbs chapter 5 and as we look at the entire Bible on living wisely with our sex life that's, that's hard but practical. Let me go through it with you. That if we're going to do this wisely together, hit the next slide, gentlemen. Pursuing sexual pleasure outside of God's design promises joy but delivers death. There's a promise that happens with every appetite a physical appetite, a sexual appetite. It promises something and to some degree delivers on something for a second or a season, but it doesn't give lasting peace and joy. And so when I go against God's design for me, I can enjoy that for a moment, but it brings a form of death, the death of peace, the death of joy, the death of my relationship with God, whenever I do something out of bounds in God's design, whether it's sexual or not sexual, whenever I rebel or walk deliberately against what God says is true, I cut myself off from my creator. Sin separates us from God. And so Solomon is like trying to teach this. The Bible's trying to teach this, that if we pursue sexual pleasure outside of God's design. It promises joy, and it might deliver joy for a moment, but it also will lead to death, a separation of intimacy between you and your creator. But pursuing sexual pleasure within God's design promises joy and delivers intimacy. It's like God says, this is what I intend for my sons and daughters. This is why I made it. When you pursue the design of God in any category and in our sex lives, when you pursue that, it promises and delivers joy and intimacy. And so there are some of us in our marriages that are like, you know what, I don't have an intoxicated love in my marriage, so I'm not sure this is true. And yet, God helps us when we say, I'm married to this woman, I'm married to this man, and I know your design, so God, help me to lean into your design. He helps us with that in our intimacy with our spouse. But regardless of our intimacy with our spouse, if we pursue God's design in any category, we have intimacy with God, right? And so intimacy with God in our design is the most important intimacy. Secondarily is our intimacy with other people. And so when I have an intimate relationship with God, I have his peace and I have his power and I have his joy and I have his companionship and he's close to me and he guides me and he comforts me and he leads me and gives me everything I need to face, whatever I have to deal with in life. But if I choose to live against his design, I cut that intimacy off and I might gain intimacy with someone here, but I lose it here and that's death. 
the Bible says. And so he says, no, if you want life and intimacy with me, follow my design. And here's so important to say this. All people, all of us, everyone listening to me need forgiveness from sexual sin. You might go, no, I don't. Like, really? Like, all of us are dirtbags. It's just true. Here's the thing. From the first man, Adam, down the line, and the first woman, Eve, down the line, sexual brokenness entered our world, and it's trickled down society to all of us. So there's nobody in this room, nobody watching me online, nobody listening to this that is not sexually broken and does not require the forgiveness of Christ to help us and to strengthen us in every area of life and in our sex lives. We have all done things that we shouldn't, thought things that we shouldn't. Some of us have been abused and mistreated. All this stuff needs the forgiveness and love of Christ and the power to overcome all these struggles. We desperately need God's help. And so I take all that I've experienced sexually, the brokenness and the goodness, for some of us, the abuse that's happened sexually. I take all of it, my confusion and struggle and temptation, I take all of it to God and say, this is my struggle. I need your help. First and foremost, forgive me of all my sins and secondarily, help me. I need strength and power to overcome struggle and temptation inside of marriage and outside of marriage. All of us need this. I'm going to say the hokiest statement you've heard all week. Are you ready? Wise people know that sex will never bring more joy than God. You're like, oh my gosh, that's such a lame preacher comment. Uh, you know what? It's a 46-year-old man that's done and tried a lot and has experienced a great sex life and experienced a tragic sex life. That I can stand in front of you and say the wisest thing to know about sex is it will never satisfy you more than God. There is a lie in our culture and in the church that says great sex means you will have a great life. That is not true. Even the best sex lasts for a second, but God lasts for eternity right? And so the pleasure that I get from God is eternal and it doesn't go away. And so the wise way to view sex is sex is important, but it's not everything. It can't be everything. It's not satisfying like Jesus. And if you're struggling sexually right now, and if you're not married, and if you're believing the lie that if you find the right sexual partner and you enjoy the right kind of sex, then everything will be okay in your life and world. That's a lie. It's just not true. We are sexual beings. Yes, it's a component of who we are. But when we take a component of who we are, sexual beings, and we make it the ultimate component of who we are, and we say, I will pursue sex above everything else. Sex becomes my God, and if sex becomes my God, I miss the greatest joy I will ever find. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And so there are some of you, some that will never be married. There are some 
and the sound of my voice that will never experience sexual intimacy, either because of choice or because of abuse or because of some situation and circumstance. If you don't experience second sexual intimacy, are you less of a person? I don't think so. Look at our Lord Jesus. He comes from God the Father, fully man, which means he experienced every sexual feeling that we experience. And yet, he was without sin. And oh, by the way, he was not married. Put all those dots together. Jesus never experienced sexual intimacy. Was his life less because of it? He experienced the greatest intimacy with God the Father. His life was full of community, purpose, love, joy, peace, patience, power, and there are incredible human beings that have never experienced sexual intimacy, and they live full, good lives. If sex becomes our God, we will not be satisfied. But when God is our God and we seek his kingdom first, all these things are added to us as well. Power and peace and purpose and joy and goodness and love and just good relationships in our, our, our culture is lying to us, my friends. And they're taking sexuality and making it the most important thing when it is not the most important thing. What if you gain the whole world sexually and you forfeit your soul? What happens? So God is inviting us into his design and saying, I made you, I know you, I get you. Yes, I understand your feelings. Yes, I know the abuse. Yes, I know your brokenness. Yes, I know what the culture is saying, but I made you for a purpose and a reason. When you walk in that purpose and design, you find life and joy, but when you rebel against me in any category of life, including sexuality, you will experience death and lack of peace and intimacy and power. So come with me, follow me, and you'll understand and experience joy and purpose beyond your imagination. This is God's invitation to us to live wisely sexually. Let's pray. God, you know how hard these topics are. And you know the struggle of every person listening to my voice. All of us are broken. None of us are above struggle and temptation. All of us have seen things that are just wrong and evil. Most of us have pursued things that are wrong and sinful. Many people have been abused sexually. All of this is just a traffic jam because we look at our culture, we see all the problems, and we see the heartache and the pain and we know people have feelings. We have feelings. Everyone has feelings. And you're calling us to take our feelings and our appetites and our brokenness and our pain and give it to you and to entrust it to you because with you is fullness of joy. So for my brothers and sisters here in every category and space and every part of the journey sexually, please help us. We need you, God. Help us to follow your design and trust your goodness. Embrace your peace and joy and pursue intimacy with you because with you is fullness of joy. God, make us a community that doesn't condemn or think we're better than anyone else or don't talk about those people, but instead see we are those people and we struggle and we wrestle 
not against flesh and blood, but against principalities that are trying to deceive and lead astray. So help us to be a gentle, loving, non-condemning, non-self-righteous people that loves everyone right where they are and helps everyone find and follow Jesus. Only you can do this in us. We trust you. We need you. We love you. Make your joy complete in us. I pray this through Christ our Lord.